Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the show for entrepreneurs, the people who really care about making this country thrive again, the people who kickstart the economic recovery and build high-paying, high-skilled jobs that are suitable for the 21st century. You know, I'm really proud to host a program that's intended to inform and educate small business owners about how to avoid the pitfalls that those of us who went before them have made. You know, I've been in a startup, several of them, and I've run several small businesses, and I've had prominent positions with major corporations, and I know where I'd rather be. You know, growing a small business is is challenging. In fact, it's bloody hard, but it's enormously rewarding, both emotionally and financially. Last week, we we touched on mentors, I think, um, in an email, and today I'm just going to go through that again, uh, add a little bit more information, as well as how to create a great first impression and how to improve your pitch so that you can sell more people more stuff. I've been fortunate to have had some really great mentors. I um, accumulated them as I went along and uh, kept most of them for most of most of my business life. Now, they've all been smart. Most importantly, they've all been experienced. They've all been straight talkers. They haven't um, told me things I've wanted to hear. They've told me things that I need to hear. And they've always had my best interests at heart without any ulterior motives. And uh, that's the real key points with mentors. So here are a few things that my mentors have taught me about mentoring. You need to be a great listener and not a talker. I know the old thing about having two ears and one mouth uh, for a reason is a bit cliche, but it's really true. Now, the best mentors will ask you lots of questions. They get all the information before making recommendations. I remember conversations with one of my mentors during which he peppered me with questions for ever and ever. At the end of the talk, I said to him, well, what do you think I should do? And he said to me, you just figured out what you should do. You just haven't committed to doing it yet. So, And he was right. What he'd done was clarified my thoughts. And he'd led me through the choices that were open to me and to a course of action that was completely my own. So instead of an answer, he'd actually given me a path. You know, I've had mentors suggest that I recommend a strategy, that I contact someone or totally change a course of action. But they didn't make the call for me. That decision was always on me. You know, I'm frequently asked by people to be their mentor. And, uh, and I understand that. But the first thing I do is say to them, Send me an email about what you want, what you're trying to achieve, how you're going to measure success, and 
why you chose me rather than someone else. So email it to me as soon as you can. Now, the interesting thing is that very, very few ever send me an email. The reason why is because they thought that getting a mentor was an easy way to get me on board or somebody like me and do their work for them. They were relying on me to solve their issues and hoping that they were going to get a free, experienced worker. And that leads me to the most important things that my mentors taught me. Take action. Every time we talked about an issue or considered a plan, my mentors wanted to know the action that I was going to take and when. I simply don't have time to coach people and develop people and work with them who will not get off their ass and do something for themselves that's in their best interests. If they're going to rely on me to do it, I want to be a sounding board. I want to challenge their thinking. I don't want to do the thinking for them. Now, I know what success I've had or have in large part had because of the support of mentors. You know, I'm privileged to mentor a few people now. It's very rewarding. But you must have a clear understanding of the roles of both people in that mentor relationship. You're a mentor. You're not really part of their team. Now, one of the primary keys to success is to make a great first impression. And today, it takes a hell of a lot more than a firm handshake and a smile to make that impression. Basic business truths keep coming back in new ways. And one of those truths is that you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. We've all been told since we were little tykes. So why am I talking about it? Because I see so many mistakes being made in this area on a regular basis. People make them over and over again. They're old mistakes, but the new digital era brings its new mistakes. So here are a couple of rules for making a great first impression. It used to be that your first impression was a firm handshake, a smile, look in their eyes, nice pressed suit, polished shoes. But now your first impression precedes you, and it happens digitally. So make sure your picture, your profile, and your position are on your website, as well as all of those people in your team that you may be taking to meetings. Have a current and very robust file on LinkedIn. Almost one out of every two executives who are meeting with somebody for the first time look online prior to the meeting. And LinkedIn is one of the most frequently used platforms. And most importantly, keep your non-friend Facebook access to an absolute minimum. You don't want your prospective client, employer, to see you a bit under the weather at a party or worse. You want to make sure that you keep those things to yourself. So now you judge not only on your persona, but also on your friends and business partners. 
The people who surround you are a clear part of your professional impression. Prospective partners and customers know that performance quality is driven by many people, not just you. Good teams create chemistry and confidence in that very first impression. So if you're going to a meeting with a group of people, make sure all of them understand the same rules about grooming, handshakes, dress, smiles, eye contact, all the things that you know. The first impression your team makes is also the first impression that you make. Take the right number of people to a meeting. Never outgun the people you're meeting with. If they've got three people, you go with two. If they've got five, you go with four. It's very important. It's also important that everybody that goes with you are on the same page. You don't have to look and sound like twins, but you do need to all be on the same page. You need to know the details and agree on the proposal you're putting forward. You do have to demonstrate positive chemistry together. And because you're sending out so many first impressions before you actually connect face-to-face, you need to make certain that you get all of the details right. You've got to send them an email, confirm the agenda, the meeting, the logistics need to be spelled out about what's going to happen in the meeting. You need to have contact numbers and names for all the people that are attending. You should also phone and either speak to them or leave a voicemail just to reconfirm. On very odd occasions, I've missed a meeting because of miscommunication, um, and it's embarrassing. And that's despite taking all the precautions. So you need to make sure that you do it every single time. When you go to a meeting, bring whatever your pitch is on paper, bound, preferably, and in digital form. And always bring more copies than you think you need. If there's five people at a meeting, bring seven copies so that they can give on a copy to whoever their superiors are. And as the world gets more and more digital, our control over our image and our reputation gets harder and harder and less and less. The first few meetings of that, the first few minutes of that first meeting are critical. Are you spending them wisely? How's the other person reacting to your pitch? So you need to find a way to quickly frame your message so that you're getting that message across very quickly. I've got a couple of techniques here that I'd just like to mention that could improve your pitch and land you the deal based on the way your prospect reacts to your pitch. So when you meet somebody for the first time, you know, your first reactions to a new person or idea are, do I like it? Do I want to find out more about it? Or do I hate it and I'm going to kill it? That's a decision maker's natural reaction. Don't bombard them with complicated stuff or mathematics or anything hard. Just get across the broad views so that they can make the decision that they want to hear more. You know, people like to hear simplicity. New ideas have to be fast and visual. So if you want to make the buyer or the investor comfortable, 
the information you're presenting has to be fast, simple, and visual. And the most common and difficult challenge in selling is that the guy you're talking to has all the power. They're the boss. So you need not to put on a performance to impress the buyer. That's not very effective. They know when they're seeing a performance. You need to try and change the dynamic. You, the salesperson, have the power, and the buyer needs to win your attention. That's the other paradigm. So you walk in, give a short pitch, and then you say, okay, we're both busy. What I want to hear from you is, will my product solve your issues? How do we move forward on this? It's an incredibly effective way to communicate to a potential buyer. This is about both parties deciding jointly to work together. So, you know, people make their decisions emotionally. Sales is just a transference of energy. So you transfer your energy, get them excited, and then justify it to them pragmatically. So you need your, you need to start off by getting that emotional agreement that this is a good thing to do and then trot out the facts to substantiate it. I hope this advice is of some use to you. It's very important that we, um, that we make fantastic first impressions and that we strategize before we go in and sell some, try to sell somebody something. My first guest today after the break is Bernie Dorman, who's the chairman of CEO Space International, who are a mentoring funding group that have literally generated billions of dollars for startups and companies. Benny's confident that the new crowdfunding legislation is the tipping point and will unleash literally billions of dollars for entrepreneurs. Since the general solicitor that's a hard word. Since the general solicitation part of this act begins in early July, this is one interview not to miss. So I hope you went onto my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrolled for my maids newsletter. This month's newsletter is about how every business can profit from the downturn. I outline 16 things that you can do to kick butt, even in a lousy economy. Don't miss it. So don't forget to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Tweet me at the Bob Pritchard. Join me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Google Plus. Contact me any way that takes your fancy. Just don't ignore me. My name's Bob Pritchard, and I will be back after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents 
and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Well, this is a segment of the show where we have a chat to people who make a difference to business, whether it be startups, early stage, or even mature businesses. You know, every week I talk about how it's not going to be our broken down political system that reduces the deficit or puts people to work. It's entrepreneurs that are going to do that. And being successful in business is difficult. There are a lot of hurdles to jump. And what entrepreneurs need is both mentors and funding. Uh, too many entrepreneurs think that funding's the answer, but really mentoring is the most important thing in my mind and funding comes second. Today's guest does more for business in both of these categories, both in mentoring and funding, than almost anybody else in the country. Bernie Dorman is chairman of CEO Space International, which is the largest support organisation for business owners and he's the inventor of Super Teaching, a Title I technology for public schools that greatly accelerates retention. Now, Barry's in high demand as a speaker for not only corporations, but for countries. I've got to talk to him about how to do that. <laughs> um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Bernie is that about a month ago, we talked about crowdfunding on this program and received a great response. Most people didn't know that it existed. Now, there's currently a bill going through Congress, which I believe will be a huge boost to entrepreneurs in this country. And one of the people primarily responsible for that bill is Bernie. And I caught up with Bernie in his hotel room in San Diego. Hi, Bernie. How are you? Well, I'm glad to be with you. It's a beautiful day with the, uh, the, the overcast burning off, and it's not quite Sydney, Australia, but it is beautiful in San Diego today. Well, I love, I've been in uh, LA for 25 years and I just love the climate here. I could do with maybe a fraction more rain just to keep things alive and clean, but apart from that, it's beautiful. Um, what, in your opinion, will um, crowdfunding mean for entrepreneurs? Well, the President Obama thanked my partner, the Governor of Florida, personally in Tampa, Florida two weeks ago for our work on the Jobs Act of 2012. And in 60 days from this radio show, the Securities and Exchange Commission will release the first part called General Solicitation, which means that a private placement of stock or debt in a 506 offering, for instance, uh, which you can look up at sec.gov under 506, you can raise millions and millions, and you're going to be able to advertise in the newspaper, have seminars, um, actually uh, speak to groups, uh, do email blasts, have a website. You're going to be able to do things you couldn't do before. It's going to open up floodgates of money. In fact, every lawyer listening needs to he- heads up and 
you know, ideally, um, <clears throat> I wish it could all be Friday on the uh, 25th inside our Vegas convention because as lawyers, we have Raul Campos, who's on the economic task force for President Obama. He was a he former helped- CC commissioner, right? He's a former commissioner with the Securities yep. and Exchange Commission, very knowledgeable. He's probably the most knowledgeable on crowdfunding that you could get from Washington, D.C., and he's teaching the first in-depth class for attorneys on crowdfunding and general solicitation so you know how these rules come down just as they're being released from the SEC. So you're doing it correctly and legally, but <clears throat> this is going to make it easier to raise money than it's been in 70 years, just absolutely off the chart. How much? What sort of an increase in invest in total investment do you think it'll generate? Well, you know, when you look at the numbers in crowdfunding alone, you're going to have a million crowdfunders. You're talking about a couple billion dollars coming into small business to expand, grow, hire. Remember, this is the Jobs Act of 2012 yeah. that President Obama signed, and the Republicans and Democrats overwhelmingly passed together in the House and the Senate. So this Jobs Act is the master plan for how to make America the entrepreneur nation. So if you have dreams, you can now get funding and have those dreams go to work. And we're finding at CEO Space, for instance, we can't keep up with what is coming where people are expanding their existing businesses, starting first-time businesses, are not trying to find a job. They're creating a job, and they're creating a job for themselves, and they're doing their dreams. But the reason is – And they're creating the next generation of jobs for others. That's the most important thing, Eric. Well, I can say it's never been easier. And our program, there's a film on our website called Show Me the Money, and you can look at the billions that have been raised for small businesses right inside CEO space. But I have to tell you, uh, it's a drop in the bucket to what's coming. They've – They've made it so that we have an automatic door. So before, we had to have keys and deadbolts, and we had to do a lot of work to open that door to money and to go get the money. And there's $2 trillion sitting on the sideline, Bernanke says at the Federal Reserve Board, waiting to invest in small businesses just like yours. And I'm telling you, you're going to have money come at you like you haven't seen in a 100 years. In fact, if you miss the next 18 to 24 months, to expand your business, to get financial underpinning in there for marketing, advertising, branding, building branches, uh, more locations geographically, going global. Now is the time, as you've never had it in your life, to learn about crowdfunding, learn about general solicitation, which comes up in 60 days, and begin to use these new tools before everybody else is. And the ocean of money that's going to start to flow at you as you use these new tools that the Congress is giving you is going to open up the pathway where I have never seen a person fail in business where they come to me and say later, Mr. Dorman, we did it just like you said. We followed all the mentor advice, but I can't make it work. There's no way I can't make it work because I have too much money. I have too much money for lawyers. I have too much money for advertising. I'll just have to give it back. I can't make the business work. I've never seen you say that to me. It's never happened. You always say, if I just had enough money, I could do this or that. Now you can have enough money. Okay. um, I've got a couple of little projects that need half a million bucks. Where do I start? What's the first thing I do? 
when you look at the crowdfunding rules, which will be active in 2013, right. you will be in a position of going on a portal and taking a test for a very little bit of money, a little registration fee of around 100 bucks or so, and you'll be certified to do crowdfunding. Then you'll be able to go to investor lists, which you can get from uh, onesource.com or better yet, listgiant.com. And write that down, listgiant.com. You can outsource all of your marketing to listgiant.com. And we give you those kind of options at CO Space so you can't fail. They'll get you investor lists you can go to by email. You can advertise in the Rob Report, in Inc. Magazine, in Entrepreneur Magazine, where investors are reading. You could advertise in the Wall Street Journal for investors. You can email blast, have websites for investors. This was precluded unless you were a public company. Sure. Now, what's the catch? You can only raise up to $2 million. You can, after $2 million, you have to follow a different set of rules. But even under those rules, for larger sums, you can still advertise. You can still go out and mass market. You just have to do it within the guidelines that are set up in all 50 states by the Securities and Exchange Commission on their website, sec.gov. And you can read the latest information at sec.gov on general solicitation, just search general solicitation, and search crowdfunding. And they report what they're doing exactly so you know from the horse's mouth what the rules are. So it's um, coming into effect 2013. Well, the crowdfunding is. Now, general solicitation on private placements is coming into effect in July, and you're going to be able for the second half of the year to raise millions or tens of millions using the new rules on what's called general solicitation. It's going to be a blowhole for money coming right up our way. Now, that's but to be able to do that, you need to register with the SEC? Well, you file for $100, a five-page form that's called a Reg D form, and you can get that free by going to sec.gov and print it out. You can file it yourself or have an attorney do it, and now you're legal to make the offering, and you need to file the same form and pay a fee in the state the investor lives in. So if the investor lives in California, you file this one-time form with the state, and you just file it. All you need is proof that it arrived from FedEx, just a FedEx receipt, and you're legal to begin to operate in California or in Texas. And the rules for that regulation exemption for you to privately place your securities to give people the paper and they give you their money is very well expressed in the SEC Reg D section. You just go Regulation D and look at the rules. They're little bullet points. Anybody can read them, and it's not a mystery. In fact, we should teach this in high school. It's just amazing in our teen program how I watch these teenagers go out and raise hundreds of thousands and they do it with all the legal compliance and the adults seem to be stumbled and reserved and you know they put it off and it's like you don't have to put off raising money. It's not hard. The government wants you to raise money. They want you to hire people. They want you to create jobs and the rules to do it legally are not hard. You just have to learn them. So what um, if you're an investor a potential investor, what should you be looking out for when you see an ad, for example, in the Wall Street Journal? What 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 should you be careful of? Well, you know, if it were me, uh, it's just what you said when you started the program. I mean, it's the, uh, the Pritchard rule. I mean, the mentors are the magic. 
I think if you look at who's mentoring that um, firm, you can pretty well see if your money's at risk or your money is uh, a lot safer. So in super high-risk ventures where you can make the most money possible, look at the mentor surrounding. All you need is three to five. If they have the right in-space mentors around them to help them go all the way, people with experience who have done it before, etc., you have really got, I think, risk reducers. So make sure that the party has uh, the reason businesses fail is one sentence. They have weak plans, weak teams, and lack resources to go all the way. If they have strong plans, strong teams, the mentors, and the resources to go all the way, they're unstoppable. And investors can sniff that out. They know. And that's where your money, where you put up a dollar, becomes a hundred. And that's where 10000 becomes a million. It's only in the venture space you can make that kind of money. And I think 20 30% of all portfolio wealth should be in circulation back in job creation in nation in venture space. I think you owe it to community. And here's the trick. Take your 30% and put no more than 10% of that in any one silo. So invest in nanotechnology, biohealth, alternative energy, agri-growing. Sure. Diversify. Don't concentrate your money. And you'll be safe and you'll look at your portfolio and find it funded everything else. Yeah, I've been um, I've been pushing over the last few weeks in my own small way. Um, tax on the one percent, bugger paying tax on the one percent to pay back the debt. Why don't we tax the one percent? The one percent, and I'm not I'm not picking a number, but let's tax the one percent, and all that money has to go back to entrepreneurs. Now, how we do that, I don't know. But even if it's a an additional two percent tax on on the top one percent, and all that money gets funneled back into you've read my new book. I you've, haven't actually. You've read my new book. It's not even out yet. The Redemption, the Cooperation Revolution, and it implores governments to begin to. Um, do just what you're saying where we think the opposite of what they're doing should happen, which is instead of charging money in California, like $1,200 to set up a corporation, they should do it free and online and instantly because the tax base they'll get by having jobs and tax uh, payments made from income tax and inventory taxes is so great that they should remove the barriers to entry. And if they create a entrepreneur-friendly state, and the states that are more entrepreneur-friendly are stable, growing, have tax base that is uh, predictable, and they're solid, and the states that are entrepreneur-unfriendly are wondering how they're going to pay their bond payments. And, and I think the, um, the thing is that you get a, uh, a Facebook that's been responsible directly and indirectly for the creation of 540,000 jobs, and we're propping up people who screw wing nuts on bolts um, in industries that are gone and are never going to come back. I don't get it. Well, it, you know, from a political standpoint, uh, some of these states are in the cash 22. They don't have money. And so they don't want to release any fees that they have now. But if they would just, um, you know, prime the pump, they'd have a gusher coming out into their bank accounts. And so it's a little pound foolish and short-sighted. But entrepreneur policy, where just what you said, taxes go to support 
the entrepreneur. For instance, I think entrepreneurs should be having investors should have all sorts of incentives for the first five years when they invest. Yeah. The companies might be income tax free for five years as a corporation. They might have waivers on inventory tax for five years. So you can see these companies get solid, stay three to five years, and then become taxpayers for because really the the state receives their money from the income tax of the jobs created. Yeah. And do everything to create a job factory by making the nation an entrepreneur factory and every state an entrepreneur factory. We live in the age of the entrepreneur. And the Jobs Act of 2012 is the demarcation. It is the biggest supernova of new money and resources coming to small business and dreamers in the history of the United States of America. They just turned the light bulb on to full for you to get money for your dreams, and most of you don't know it. So become familiar with general solicitation and crowdfunding. Talk to your lawyers. Ask them how it's working, what the new rules are, and you will be amazed at how now the slide is greased to the money pool, and you can slide right in, but be early. Be first. Don't wait for everybody to do it. Get in early. Start in July. Get into your general solicitation. Make it happen for yourself. Bernie, thank you very much for your time. I wonder if you'd mind if I called you back uh, at the start of July or early July. Yeah, I'd love to give you an update. So we can have an update on that. Yeah, we're working with the Senate and the House and the regulators, so we'd love to give you an update. Fantastic. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Bernie and CEO Space International, go to www.ceospaceinternational.com, and I'll be back with more of the program in just a couple of minutes. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment where we speak to experts in their field, people who can provide great advice to entrepreneurs, startups, or established businesses, people who have been out there and done it. So, you know, there's no use us repeating the same mistakes that that I've made. If I can help you through it, that makes a lot of sense. My guest today is Phil Paulson, who has a background in the building and construction industry before he got wise and co-founded a sales management 
and motivation training company. He was an innovator in the large public seminar industry, some of the first big public seminars. Phil has worked with all of the greats in the speaking industry, including the likes of Zig Ziglar, Earl Nightingale, all of the all of the guys that are absolute legends to people like me. And of course, he's worked with me. So it's all good. He's also a consultant in management and in sales to almost every conceivable industry. He is the guy that puts the S in sales. He's also a friend. So it's a pleasure to welcome him to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hi, Phil. How are you? Hi, Bob. I'm very well, thanks. Good. Life treating you well? Well, I live in sunny Queensland in Australia where it's beautiful one day and perfect the next, Bob, so it does always treats me well. Well, I live in California where it's beautiful one day and perfect the next, so I think it's... But you you have humidity there, don't you? Oh, we do, and it's It's beautiful. beautiful. We need to see a lot more of your audience down here. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Mate... What is an effective salesperson? Well, an effective salesperson, let me start off by just saying what they're not. They're people, they're not effective if they're just out there talking and telling people what they do. Telling isn't selling. An effective salesperson is someone who's got the ability to listen, focus in on what the people want, and fulfill that want. Right. Okay. So, how did you get involved with selling Initially, I mean, it's a long way from the construction industry and and um, building. So, how did you how did you actually get into sales? This will date me a bit, Bob. I was an orphan kid in post-war Christchurch, New Zealand, and on fifty cents a week orphans benefit, I had to go and do something to make some money. So, I started knocking on doors, and I soon quickly found out that if you ask for money or food. Anything can happen. So I started selling. I said, would go to a place, and I figured I'd bike to a place where they had lots of money, no sense in going somewhere where they can't pay you. So I'd pick on someone that had lots of leaves in their front lawns or something, and I'd knock on the door and say, would you like me to clean up your leaves? And they would pay me, and I'd go from there. And I soon realized that if I wanted repeat business, I'd say to them, listen, should I put next Wednesday aside to come to you? Okay. So that's where I first started to sell. However, let me just say this. When my son my son went to school here in California, and um, when he was about, I'm not sure how old, but about 12 or something, they had to set up a business, and they had to register it with the state. They had to do tax. They had to do returns. They had to do the whole thing at 12 years old, which I think is a sensational thing Good to do. But, um, and one of the things he did, he, he bought stuff from companies that had, you know, he bought overages or, or um, dead stock, and then he'd go door to door and sell it, and he did fantastically well, selling all sorts of crap door to door. Now, if I did it and sold the same stuff to the same houses, I would starve to death because they wouldn't buy off me, but they'd buy off a kid. So you were running around Christchurch or wherever, s- selling stuff door to door. As a kid, that's a hell of a lot different than a big grown adult knocking on the door saying, hey, listen, how about a buck? Absolutely, and knocking on the door is the hardest thing you can do these days, Bob. Uh, People just don't realise that the two major costs they've got, doesn't matter whether they're entrepreneurs or small business or large business, the two major costs they've got in relation to their business is the cost of getting a lead 
In other Absolutely. words, that's someone that can prospectively buy off them. Sure. And, and the cost of a lost sale. So they're not factoring those things in. So the two things that I take majorly into account are once we've got that lead, how do we maximise the opportunity from that? How do you get the very, very best out of that lead? How do you get the very top margin you can possibly get and turn them into repeat business where the, where the profit is? And how do you eliminate the cost of a lost sale? So many people are walking away, they're not followed up well, they're left nothing happens and no money changes hands. So an effective salesperson is one that gets the money in the bank, gets it cleared and fulfills the service beyond what they're promised. I, um, I've read several times, and I don't know whether this is a sort of an old wives' tale or whether it's actually true, that majority of sales occur after somebody's knocked on the door eight times. Now, that might be a slight, whether it's five or eight or whatever it is, but um, it's about being diligent and persistent and not giving up, isn't it? Absolutely. They're talking here about, uh, they're talking about touch the client, so touch them seven times before they buy is is what the secret is. But if the person has invited you in, therefore you've only got to greet them once, and the, the way to get that done is word of mouth. It's still the most powerful method of referral and it's one that people seriously overlook they go and make a sale they're all excited about it rush down to the bank you know do whatever they've got to do but they've forgotten to say to the person listen by the way who else do you know that would like what i've offered you or what you've just taken from me yeah so word of mouth i know everybody's going diving to the internet and saying look we don't need to knock on doors anymore and all that sort of stuff and it is it's awful stuff knocking on doors because you get rejected if you're old like me you don't you know that doesn't bother you anymore because you know you're being rejected not that they don't like you or that but they're busy or some other reason so if you're being rejected and you you're taking that to heart and not following them up yeah then more for you a lot of people don't buy because of a condition not because of an objection so in other yep. words, if, if their mother's just died and they have to go to a funeral, they can't possibly see you that day or they can't possibly buy off you that day. Mm. That's a condition. So a lot of people overlook that and they say, oh, I missed the sale. And you're right, persistence is um, you know, it's up there with everything, isn't it? Yeah, of course, if, if you knock on a door 100 times and you make eight sales, so that's a sale every 12 knocks. So every time somebody says no to you, you're only 11 away, then 10 away, and then eight away from a sale, aren't you? Well, it's the best attitude to have, and I do a lot of mentoring with people, and just this morning, I've had a a client ring me last night, she was in a panic, she suddenly got in a big, big client to go and see, like well out of the league, Mm. and so she's caught the train down there this morning, she's sat there early, done everything right, and she's gone into the appointment, and at 9 o'clock this morning, it took her 20 minutes to close something that Mm. she's been a year with that client trying to do. Yes. And she'd almost given up hope. She rang me in tears last night. I don't know what to do. So take it calmly, draw breath, do everything right, be polite, get there on time. And she's rung me back now absolutely over the moon because suddenly the people have said, well, yep, we're ready to move with you. Now, when you're dealing with big corporates, you're not, you know, it's great to think you're going to be able to rush them, but it's very difficult to not move at their pace. And they don't necessarily move quickly. That's true. And, you know, they're the ones with, that can write out the big budgets. They've got the budgets and they write out the big checks that clear. So 
they're always good ones to have a go at. They, <laughs> they are. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the best way to do business is one-on-one meet people, get them to like you, and um, and then you're halfway there. Uh, just blanket mailing, emailing, or whatever can get you business, but it's it's a hard, slow way to do it. Well, it does, but it's two-dimensional. And, I mean, what I, I get on every email that I possibly can because I want to see what everybody's doing to see how I can improve and also to see how I can do it differently. I don't want to be just in the middle of the ruck doing the same thing. Yeah. And I'll always be the most expensive. So I want those that are rushing in there to sell on price to get in before I do so that they can get out of the road. Anyone that's just selling on price has to be high pressure. Me, I sell on quality and service and follow-up and all those other things that are extra. So I'll always be maybe 20% dearer than anybody else. Yeah. And the very first thing I say, people say to me, oh, you're 20% dearer than your opposition. I say, well, that's true. And they say, well, can you cut the price? And I say, well, which part of my service would you like me to leave out in order to get it down that cheap? Yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we agree on that. So what inherent traits must a good salesman have? What? What really makes a good salesman tick? Well, to me, the best salespeople, I mean, this is regardless of how they look and how they're educated and how they dress and all those sort of things, the best salespeople or the best trait is that they are good listeners. So in other words, if you could judge a salesperson just on how they looked, whether they were a certain age or dressed a certain way, it'd be easy, wouldn't it? You know, yeah, that's the right good salesperson. Yeah. But it's not. The key is the people that are the best listeners. And they then know that they've got the person talking about their subject. I've never met a person that doesn't want to talk about themselves. Absolutely. So if they're listening, where most salespeople fall down, they're trying to tell their story. Now, if you and I are talking, two people are talking face to face, who believes what the person who's talking is saying is true? That person does, don't they? Yeah, they do. So you might be listening to me and going, what a load of hogwash, whereas the person who's talking will believe what they're saying is true. So if you're listening to them and particularly capturing their words, writing down their words and listening hard, you can then push them that little bit further. And when you're face-to-face questioning, you can see which bits people are lighting up on and see which bits people are not. And on the email and on the telephone, you can't do that. You know, they might be with your feet up having a cocktail and um, chatting away with you, but their attention's not on you. Yeah. Whereas no, if you're sitting face-to-face, so to me, the trait, the best trait of a, of a good salesperson is one that knows how to listen. Yeah. So why should you sell yourself to a prospective customer before you sell your product or service? I know the answer to this. I'm just asking you. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, you know, dear old Zig summed it up the best. He said that people, you know, people just don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. So to me, selling yourself is just like, for example, if you were on a bicycle and you're biking along, picture your front wheel. It's got a hub and it's got a spoke and it's got a tire around the outside, right? Yep. If something goes wrong as you're biking along with the tire and it pops off or you puncture or whatever, these days with the repair kits they've got, you can leap off, unbolt the thing. My son does it in about one minute on his yep. bike, sure. and you're away again, provided you've remembered to bring your pump, right? So in yeah. selling, you've got to remember to bring all your equipment you need. Yep. Um, but where real selling yourself is, if you're biking along on the same bike and the hub of the wheel collapses, 
you're in deep trouble, aren't you? The bike yeah. rolls over and you're smashed, and the next thing you're in the ambulance and off the hospital or whatever happens. You are in um, trouble. So, to me, the, selling yourself is in the hub of the wheel. And in the hub of the wheel, which it has to be locked tight, spinning beautifully, is all the intangible things that you can't otherwise come by. Yeah. So, trust, belief, integrity, all of those, honesty, all of those things are in that hub. Yes. And if you're selling yourself, then you're selling the things in the hub first. So notice I haven't mentioned anything about product or service. Yep. I've just mentioned the things that are integrity. Look at um, politicians. Look at a politician who tells a lie and watch how quickly people that they're trying to sell to switch off them. Mm. Same I'm applies tr- in selling. I'm trying to think of a politician that actually tells the truth. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. However, <laughs> so... Among the things you mentioned, which is the most important of those, trust? I think the intangible things are very difficult to divide. I mean, trust, intangible belief and honesty. If they see you as an honest person, they may not necessarily believe you. I mean, you might have a best mate who you think is honest as the day long, but he might say something you don't necessarily believe. On the other hand, you might know a guy that's an absolute bull artist, but he might say something that's true. Yeah. So you've got to differentiate between honesty and belief. You know, So all of those things are equal, integrity, honesty, belief, truth. And here's an example that we had this morning with this particular girl, right? I said, if in the event, in other words, to the client, this is a major client that she yes. desperately wanted. Yes. If in the event we can't help you, are you okay if we are the first to say so? Now, you should have seen the reaction that she got from this woman, the very big person in one of the corporates. Right. She said, oh, really? You know, so there's yeah, honesty. She built honesty. That. She built honesty right there in that minute. So I can't say to you which is the most important of those, but they all are. So if you're trustworthy in the eyes of the customer, that's supremely important. Mate, we're running really short of time. It's great to speak with you. Is What's your, what's your final word to our audience? My final word to your audience is if you're in selling, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in a small business and you've got a problem, there is no problem that can't be solved. Jim Rowan once said to me, and he's one of the greats that I've ever met, he said to me, every problem can be solved in the library and there's not one library in the world that that's annual fee is not more than about 10 bucks. Now, that was some years ago, so it might be more now. So read the answers. And in my case, I've written a book, which which you know, and thank you very much. You, you, you out of the blue, sent me a wonderful um, testimonial for it. But it's a great it, book. It's, it's on my website. It's on Amazon. It's called Sales Drive by Phil Polson. Um, I've entitled it The Definitive No-Brainer Street Smart Guide to Sales Stardom. It's all the stuff they don't teach you in unis or or sales trainers and corporates don't know because they haven't been out there on the street getting their their proverbials kicked in like I have. Um, So go and get that. Go to my website, www.salesdrive.com.au. Remember the .au bit. And any one of your audience that buys my book, the e-version, that downloads it and buys it, here's what I'll do. I'm right in the throes of making an audio version of the book, which is going to retail at $90. For the first 100 for you, Bob, yep. they buy the e-version. And for the first 100, I will give them the audio tapes absolutely free. Now, they won't get that straight away. That'll take me a couple of days to finish off. Okay, How's that well, for a deal? That's a fantastic deal. Let's only give away 99 because I'm looking forward to my copy. 
<laughs> okay. Mate, I'll, look. I'll stick to 100 and I'll give you one as well. <laughs> Mate, great to speak to you. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Um, Phil's given you his website. It's www.salesdrive.com.au. And I'll be back in just a couple of minutes with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show. Coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Another absolutely gorgeous day. Perfect time for a margarita. We really appreciate your emails coming to us from all over the world. Now, although most of our emails are from the United States, I want to acknowledge our listeners in other countries and try to answer an email from them every week. Now, I think the reason that this segment's so popular is that um, irrespective of where you are in the world, whether you've got a big business or a small business, irrespective of what you do, we all have the same issues. We all have the same challenges doesn't matter whether you're in retail, a plumber, a landscape gardener, or running a dry cleaner. So while I might be answering an email from the owner of a company who makes window frames, it probably applies to your business equally. The first email this week is from Ivan Jefferson of Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, who writes, Dear Bob, love your show, and I have your book. If I send it to you, will you autograph it for me? Well, certainly. If you'd like to um, pop it in the mail, uh, I have your email. I'll send you an email and send you the address. On CNN the other day, they said that people were more productive at some times of the day than others. Is that true or is it BS? Ivan, not all hours are created equal. Some hours produce more net value than others. I'm looking at the most effective executives and leaders and business owners, and I notice many of them are very careful with their time. Now, this includes the appointments they set, the meetings they have, organisations to which they belong, and the, and the activities that they fill their day with. If you look at your appointment calendar from last week, 
in every day there are probably only two hours of high productivity. So what we need to do is make the most of each hour every day. So rank your activities over the course of the week into three categories, ones that are high value, low value, and no value. The value standard is what produces value to the customer. So highly productive people think in outcomes first and activities second. So you need to decide what is valuable. Getting to a place where you spend 100% of your time in the high value category, well, that's probably pretty unrealistic. But what if you could move one hour a day or get rid of altogether the no value and move it into low value and sum up to high value? You would be getting a lot more done and making a lot more money. So the first thing to do is cut out everything that's wasting time. And things like generating reports, regularly scheduling meetings, clerical work, bouncing emails. Emails are just past the monkey. You know, emails achieve bugger all, really. So, you know, all of those things can be relegated down to low value. For example, weekly staff meetings. Make them every second week. Make them once a month. Or if it's an hour meeting, make it a half-hour meeting or a quarter of an hour meeting. I often talk about Gorbachev and um, Kennedy. They solved all the problems of the world in about an hour. So we can do a lot, but just prioritize your time really well. Now, since you already have a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, fantastic book, even if I say so myself, I'm going to send you a copy of Marketing Magic, a book that um, also features Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and others, and that's on its way to you. Next week, I've got a great interview with the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to LinkedIn Marketing. LinkedIn is one of the most valuable tools in a marketer's armory. Make sure you don't miss it. Send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter and Google+. Just a reminder, if you missed my main newsletter and would like to receive my June newsletter, go to www.bobpritchard.com and register. And I look forward to seeing you at exactly the same time next week. Thank you. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.